0: This is The James Altucher Show. Today on The James Altucher Show.
1: I'm going to go way back here. I'd like to go to the start and see the arc of your life as it relates to things. So I can understand why you did what you did. And maybe it can help me do some kind of cleanse. Because a few years ago, there was a fascinating story in The New York Times and the headline said why self-help guru you only owns 15 things.
0: Okay, I relate to what you're saying about associating things with memories and I think many people relate to that. So what happened was in a snapshot, I threw out everything I owned. I asked my friend to just throw out everything. Do not save a single, single thing. So I will have no place to live and the only thing I'll be coming back with is my carry-on bag from the plane with one or two outfits and maybe a Kindle and a computer and a phone. And that's it. And a toothbrush. And and there is this aspect of, okay, I was somewhat of a minimalist and it changed me. And, you know, I probably went overboard, but I usually go overboard on most of the things I do. <laughs> This is what I enjoy most. I love going on other people's podcasts, particularly when they're good friends of mine, and it doesn't even feel like an interview. It feels like just a real deep conversation between friends where I learn about me, I learn about the interviewer, and I hope the listener is both entertained and gets some value out of it. And that's exactly what happened when I was interviewed by my good friend, Cal Fussman. Cal, I don't know if you've seen him on any of my, you know, my podcast before or Tim Ferriss's podcast or in Tim Ferriss's book, Tools of the Titans book. Cal was an editor at large at Esquire for many years. He's He's really known as one of the best interviewers on the planet and I was so honored to be on his podcast. We got into the real thick of it about like things I've never said before about when I was a minimalist and threw out all my belongings and traveled from Airbnb to Airbnb, like the real hardcore reasons and what I learned and what I didn't learn. And it was just a fascinating conversation to me. And he really thought about it before the podcast. So I just loved it. And I, I've even listened to it again to learn about myself. So listen to it. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think on Twitter. I'm at Jay Altucher. Or you can join my Facebook group and let me know there. It's called the Choose Yourself Facebook group. That's where I spend a lot of time getting to know you, the listeners, and other choose-yourselfers. That's where we as a group can help each other. Now, here's the show. All right, let me,
1: let me tell you what I really, really came here to talk to you about. Yes,
0: let's, let's do it. What I-, I came
1: to ask you about are things, because a few years ago, there was a fascinating story in the New York Times uh, and the, the headline said something like, why self-help guru you only owns 15 things. And James, I live in a house of clutter and I'm looking around. Is
0: that true, Dylan, your son's here? Yes.
1: There you so go. we have proof. Yeah, <laughs> definite proof. And here, here's the thing, I'll just explain myself so you can understand uh, where my head is at and help me through it. I look at little things as memories. And so I might have a pair of Converse sneakers that was given to me in South Africa by people who brought me in to speak And it was my birthday and there were 3000 people and they rolled out a cake and sang happy birthday to me. And the shoes become that memory to me. And I've had so many memories that are all linked to these things that they are swamping me.
0: Would you say, when you say swamping, I don't see you as a hoarder. You know, you probably don't say save lottery tickets from 1979, but I, I <laughs> you, you, Dylan, your son is, is thinking about it. Not, uh, not from no, not from
1: 1979.
0: But no. but I, I get the idea of saving objects as memories. So 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 before I get into the full story, uh, the, the the snapshot what you're talking about is I threw out. I obviously had a lot of belongings that I had built up over a course of 40 years. Uh, or 50 years, I'm 50 years old. And when you move from house to house, you tend to bring all of your things with you. Maybe you throw out 5% of your things, but you tend to move all of your things with you. And so you accumulate more and more. And um, so without, I'll, maybe we can get into the details. And, and I,
1: I'm going to go way back here. I, I'd like to like go to the start and and see the arc of your life as it relates to things. Okay. So I can understand why you did what you did, and maybe it can help me do some kind of cleanse.
0: Okay, so we, so there's a lot of ways to look at that, but I'll just, I'll just I relate to also what you're saying about associating things with, with memories, and I think many people relate to that. So what happened was in a snapshot without getting into the details yet, uh, I'll just say the facts. I threw out everything I owned. So I was going away on a business trip or some kind of trip, I don't even remember. And I asked a friend of mine to, I had an apartment in the city and an apartment near my kids about 60 miles north of here. And not an apartment, but a house 60 miles north of here. And I had lots of things in both places. And both leases were ending. And I had to decide what to do. And uh, like, was I going to renew the leases? Was I going to just pick one place? Was I going to move someplace new? So I decided, you know what? I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to do I'm going to do nothing. So I I A I informed both landlords I'm ending the leases and I wasn't going to rent any place new or buy anything new, which leads to further questions but I'll describe what I did. And then I asked my friend Lisa to go to both places while I'm gone and I'll be gone for a week and just throw out everything. Do not save a single single thing. So that when I come back I will have no place to live, and the only thing I'll be coming back with is my carry-on bag from the plane, with one or two outfits, and maybe a Kindle and a computer and a phone, and that's it, and a toothbrush. And um, so she took the entire week. Apparently, people don't realize how much how many things they have. Like I didn't even realize how many things I had collected over over the fifty years.
1: They and, end up in those big, hefty bags, I'm sure, those hefty plastic bags.
0: Yeah, and you have you also, you don't even realize how many rooms you have or how many rooms you've been sticking things in the corner closet, you know, and how many basement, how much space in the basement you've used of one of the places. So anyway, I thought it would take her just like an afternoon, so <laughs> in her car. And instead, um, she's told me later, it, she had a whole U-Haul, like 18-wheeler, Every single day, she brought her husband, her two kids, her cousins, her nephews, and just all day long, every day for a week, they were pulling stuff out of my house and apartment. And I gave her four choices. Either keep it for yourself, give it to charity, sell it and keep the money for yourself, or throw an item away. So, and But I said, one rule is don't call me at all. And she called (laughs) me once, She called me once and she said, are you sure you want to throw away your diploma? I mean, it's framed and you work so hard for this. Are you sure you want to throw away your college diploma? And I'm like, A, I told you not to call me, but B, I've never once used that diploma since I graduated. So of course, just throw that one in the fireplace. Don't even... Throw it away. Just Don't burn even it.
1: get it to the U-Haul. Yeah,
0: like if save on heat while you're doing <laughs> this. Like burn that diploma. But but to say to to add to what you were saying, I had all these things that I didn't want to think about while she was doing this. Because let's say you have your comic book collection from when you're nine years old, and like, oh, I loved just the feel of the paper and the colors and the stories, you know, from all those comic books, and then, you know books I read when I was a teenager and letters I had written and paintings I collected. Like I had, I had um, animation cells from I Dream of Genie, the, the opening sequence that I bought in 1999. I had um, the, uh, an animation cell from the TV show Underdog. I had uh, an original sketch when the animators of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs were pitching Walt Disney what the dwarfs would look like. I had their pitch and, you know, hang out with them. these things weren't that expensive. I just collected a little bit. I had chess boards, go boards, chess books. I had all of my books. I'd written like 15 books at the time. All
1: of your books yeah. you were
0: sending out. Not only all my books, but um, I had a, a, a cabinet case where you could see into the cabinet case. All my books were there, like really nicely set up. All my books in foreign languages. They've been in 20 different languages. Uh, 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 I had... And then, of course, there's all my dishes, silverware, dishes from different periods of my life. I had sheets, towels, uh, uh, beds, chairs. Uh, you know, all the normal things that you don't even think of as things because they're in every single house. I had all my coats, clothes, clothes from years ago, sweaters from years ago that maybe one day I would wear again. Just T-shirts. Uh, so many things. I'm just trying to like any awards I'd won. I had uh, trophies. Uh, all these things that could have, you know, textbooks from college, uh, a novel that I had written up and typed up, and it was in a stack of papers from 1991. You got uh,
1: rid of your own novel.
0: Yeah, four of them. And uh, uh, <laughs> oh, man. so, 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 so add all this that I'm remembering now times 10, that was how many memories I had gotten rid of, you know, fo- oh, photos of like my family photo album from when I was a kid. So my no, grandparents, no. my parents, because these things things were never digitized. Me as a little kid, my sisters and me, uh, my cousins, you know, uh, great grandparents. What? Uh, all, like I had f- several photo albums all thrown away, um, you know, that had been kept on top of the mantelpiece above, you know, the kitchen, uh, you know, all these, I, I could go on and on did, really.
1: Did you, have you ever regretted Sending one of those items off.
0: Yes, that's the thing. People people would always ask me like, "Oh, this must have felt so freeing, it's like a cleansing." And you know, it it did a little, but yeah, I also regret like not not every decision supposed to be perfect. Uh, like, uh, and it's okay to miss things. It's o- nostalgia and melancholy are actually pleasant emotions. Like I'm nostalgic for that photo of me with my daughter right after she's born that was framed on top of my panties. I'm like nostalgic for it. And I wish I could see it again, but it's not a bad emotion. It's just melancholy or nostalgia, which people sometimes think, think of as bad because it's somehow connected to melancholy is somehow connected to sadness or depression, but I feel melancholy over it. I don't, feel depressed over it. Uh, uh, So yes, I regret some of the things, but also I don't regret what I did. Overall, I don't regret what I did. And it was cleansing. And again, we can get into the story, but there is an outcome. First off, we're sitting in my, now, so for several years, I just Airbnb'd around. I kept the same carry-on bag. If I ever bought one item, I had to replace an item that was in the bag. (laughs) So it gave me a real connection to, you know, I used to pass a bookstore, say, and I'd see a book in the window and I'm like, oh, I want that book, I'm going to buy it. And I don't just want it on my Kindle, I want the real book. So I would go in and buy the book. I never used to, there would be no, there would be no separation between wanting and having. If I wanted something, I'd have it. And, uh, but suddenly there was a distinction. I couldn't, I would say to myself, I want that book, but then I'd have to think, but you know what? There's it. There's nothing I need to replace in my bag, so I'm not going to buy that book. And I'd have to do that. Let's say in the two years I was, or two and a half years I was living this way, must have done that a thousand times. Like it really taught me. It built this muscle of you know I don't need need everything I want. So that became a real muscle that I had never had before. It was like a new emotion. Um, to to want, but but not immediately have. You weren't even delaying gratification. You were denying gratification. Right, right. I, w- I would just tell myself, I don't really need to have this. I can get it on, I have a Kindle. I can get that book on my Kindle. Okay, if I like that shirt, maybe if I really love this shirt, I will replace it with a shirt I already love. that's in my bag. But in general, I have what I'm wearing now, which is a white shirt and black pants and that's it. And one pair of shoes that, sort of served as shoes and sneakers. You couldn't really tell the difference. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, but eventually, uh, you know, so that that was, I would say, the main thing I learned is that I built this muscle. And again, this sounds like a, a, this is a problem of privilege, obviously. Like some countries don't ever get what they want, but we're talking about our, you know, our friends and and the generation of people we know generally have you know some disposable income and buy a book in the bookstore that they like. So or they buy a uh, TV that they might like or whatever. Uh,
1: Most people have photo old photos.
0: Yeah. So I have none of that. And uh, so so there was two things then. One is. When I, I learned to appreciate nostalgia and melancholy and and being and having unsatisfied nostalgia, like I couldn't go back and look at those photos of my myself with my daughters. Did it make you
1: hone your memory to
0: try and grasp them? That's a good question because I don't know the answer. I think I would be more aware. I would say to myself, Oh, I missed that moment. I wish I could look at it again. But when I see my, and I don't know if it gives me a, be, a better appreciation when I see my daughters now, but I wow. certainly appreciate when I see my daughters now. I don't know if it would have been different if I had the, just a the photo of them. Um, but the the real thing, the two things is, it made me really appreciate the positive aspects of of melancholy and nostalgia, and it made me also real build this muscle that I never had before, or I hadn't had since I was a little kid. You know, when you're a little kid, you want a toy. You can't always get every toy you want. But as an adult, from the age of like 23 on, say, after you've been working for a year after college, you can pretty much get most things that you want. And uh, no matter what your salary is, my salary started really low, but anytime I was in a bookstore, I could buy what I want. I'm not not the type who wants like big expensive things. And um, uh, I build that muscle that I can't get everything I want. And even the smallest, smallest, even like a towel, I wouldn't be able to buy a towel because I was staying in Airbnbs, they had towels. So it would make no sense for me to buy a towel. Uh, Was there one
1: moment that precipitated this that you said, okay, that's it? I'm sending everything away.
0: You know, I wish, so I'm gonna be totally frank in, in, in ways that I necessarily haven't been before. First off, that title, that New York Times article where you read this, they said self help guru, right? And the reporter, well, he had to actually. He was—he's a great guy. I love him.
1: He um, didn't write the headline. He, he didn't write wrote the, the story. He, he
0: told me they—they they wrote the headline to include self help guru. I really right. didn't want the word guru or the word self help. Uh, but uh, uh, I think it said like millionaire self help guru. Like everything I didn't want, like, was in there. Um, and uh, uh, sorry, what was what precipitated me saying that? <laughs>
1: I was wondering if there was a, a moment that precipitated the decision
0: to, uh, to, to do yeah. it. So a lot of people would think, oh, uh, I must be doing this self-help kind of thing. Like I'm going to be a minimalist, <laughs> right? So everybody okay. just assumed, oh, you should see that documentary, The Minimalist. And I like those guys who did that. I don't I haven't seen the documentary, but I personally like those guys. And uh, I don't know them personally, but I like their stuff, but I'm not a minimalist and I never have been. and homeless people on the street are more minimalist than me even when i did this but uh you know and i went the airbnbs i i remember my daughter uh the day after that article came out or no i wrote a blog post and my daughter's par- friends parents were reading my blog always and so her friends came up to her the next day and they're like Josie is your dad homeless and because <laughs> oh, no. it showed up it showed up my blog post i had a picture of me just Going between walking between Airbnbs with all of my belongings. So I said I, at that moment I had no home, and here's all my belongings. And so the so Josie's friends were saying, "Is your dad homeless?" So Josie came to the town and visited me, and she she came into the Airbnb I was staying at at that point. It was actually a, a friend's house, and my friend wasn't staying there. Uh, and How old
1: was she at that point?
0: Seventeen, maybe or sixteen. Right, so and, she
1: comes in as a seventeen-year-old. Yeah, and
0: she was like. Daddy, you're definitely not homeless because I was staying in a nice place, uh, right. Uh, but it just wasn't mine, and nothing in there was mine. and uh, and in fact, it was a friend of mine, so I wasn't even at an Airbnb then. I was just staying at a friend's house, and my friend i had I had done a favor for this friend fifteen years earlier. and he had another apartment in the city. I had made a lot of money for my friend. and he had another apartment in the city. and he said, why don't you just stay? Here for a few days and i didn't want to take up too much of his generosity so i stayed there a few days and then started my airbnb um but uh the but moment
1: it, the moment that it like hit you that i'm gonna do this
0: yeah so i wasn't it wasn't a necessarily a self-help motivation which is what 100 percent of the people thought i'll add one more thing before fully answering the question after that article came out every literary agent called me <laughs> Every TV production company called me. Steven Spielberg's TV production company, Amblin Productions, called me. They wanted to do uh, a scripted sitcom based on me. Uh, all the big agencies, you know, wanted to represent me. Um, reality show companies called me, wanted to do a reality show. I ended up doing none of these things because uh, I just enjoyed what I was doing, which is writing and podcasting and other things that I do. Um, but anyway, to to your to your point. I think two things precipitated it before the self-help aspect, because there is a little bit of the self-help aspect. And there's two things which sound really kind of small and trivial, which is why I never really mentioned them before. They almost sound selfish. But one is I'm really, really super bad at paperwork. <laughs> so like I'm incapable of, and everybody, a lot of people are bad at paperwork, so I'm not claiming a monopoly on this. But like I need help with any kind of paperwork. It looks like a crossword puzzle to me. Like where do I put my name? Is first name? I don't get it. Like I it's almost like I'm blind when I look at paper. What does this have to do with anything? I literally couldn't rent a new apartment. And so I could have easily renewed, but I didn't want to renew these apartments for various reasons. And so I literally couldn't go to a real estate agent, fill out forms, and then when you rent an apartment in New York City, it's like it's like a full-time job. You have to fill out 27 forms, you have to get six references, you have to get like all these background checks and agree to them. So I just didn't want to go through that. And nor did I want to move and figure out, nor did I want to put things in storage. So there was this real selfish thing. Like I just didn't want to do all of these activities that I don't like doing. So I had to weigh do I figure out what to do with all my things and just move into a new place and do all the work required and then move all my things with a moving truck? Or do I just do nothing and throw everything out? <laughs> so I opted to just do nothing and throw everything out, and figure, okay, there's going to be consequences to that. Like I'm going to regret, but I'm willing to handle the consequences rather than rent another apartment. And and then the other thing that happened was, uh, and I'll just kind of admit this for the first time, I had gone through a, kind of a devastating breakup. In a marriage, and then many, you know, a, a bit of time later, this is when I had that apartment, that, that house upstate, and then I had um, uh, an apartment in New York that I was sharing with somebody I was then dating, and it wasn't really working out, and so
1: oh, it's a double whammy.
0: So it was a double whammy that I just didn't want to deal with all of those things about the marriage. I didn't want to deal with the Breakup. Wow. So suddenly when all the leases ended, I was able to say, Hey, going on this trip. This lease is over. I guess it's this is totally selfish. I guess this is over with us. And that was how that ended. And and suddenly I had nothing and I had nobody. And you know, in terms of relationship and romantic relationship. And when I came back, I was just this new, I had this new life. I landed and I had nothing to do. And not, nothing going on. My business actually was in a state of flux also at that time. And so there wasn't really any pressing business demands. I just enjoyed writing. So I was wrote up my experiences, what I was doing with all my things. And that became popular. And then the New York Times called about it. But it was there was a little bit of selfishness. And then I just didn't want to deal with my personal situations because they were so devastating to me. And I didn't really know how to deal with them. <laughs> And I didn't really know how to deal with my real estate situation or with my personal belongings situation. Um, because Airbnb, <laughs> yeah,
1: because
0: I, I get kind of probably you get this way too. I get kind of, I get to the point where I'm I can only do the things I enjoy doing. So I enjoy writing, I enjoy podcasting, I enjoy enjoy a few other things. Everything else that I don't enjoy, I don't do. So I don't enjoy figuring out what to do with 6,000 belongings. So I didn't do them and I outsourced it and got rid of everything. And hopefully most of it ended up in either charity or help my friend or whatever. And I don't really enjoy ending relationships. I don't really enjoy dealing with the remnants of a devastating breakup. So I just did dealt with none of it. And What did that
1: do to you? Did it make you a free man?
0: Yeah, I was, I was totally... It was like my. It was like this weird thing where, like, my past was artificially erased. I say artificially because it wasn't really erased. I still had to deal with the ramifications of all of that, but for the moment, I could just focus on okay, who am I? I have this bag. I have no place to live. I remember sitting in a restaurant. I got off the plane, went to this restaurant. I didn't even log into my computer. Or log into Airbnb. So my friend, I called up my friend and said, this is what happened. And he said, oh, well, I live across the street. You help me out once. I'll move to my other apartment. You just move to this apartment. The key is over here. And I moved there for a few days. And then finally, I got enough mental and emotional strength to log on to Airbnb. And I picked an Airbnb that I liked, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one. And I did this for like two years. And then finally, two years later, a friend of mine... Uh, called me a, a, a female friend who was always very helpful to me. And she said, you know, it's it's getting a little creepy at this point. Like who is going to want to be, you know, romantically go out with you. You're, you're almost 50. And this happened a short while ago when I was 49. You're almost 50. You have no belongings and no home. They're going to think you're incapable of putting down roots. So... She was right, I thought, and uh, I called up a real estate agent. There was only one building I wanted to live in, uh, and I called up a real estate agent, and he's like, no, no, don't live in that building. There's six other buildings I could show you. And I said, no, 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 I only want to live in this one building. Just sight unseen, I will take this apartment. (laughs) And he's like, you can't do that. That's insane. And And I said, okay, you could show me all those apartments you want to show me. He showed all of them to me. They were all better. And I said, I don't care. I just want to live in this building, just make an offer for this building. And he said, Okay, but we're in a negotiate. I'm gonna negotiate. And I said, Don't negotiate. Just I might lose the deal. It's the only apartment I want to live in. He did negotiate without my permission and he got me a better deal. He said, That's just what happens. Don't worry about it. And then I moved in there with nothing, zero. So I remember I went to Bed Bath and Beyond and I got an air mattress and blew it up. And and you you've been in that process That's where we did our last podcast. Yeah. And Uh, that was the only thing I had for a couple of weeks was just this airbed that I, and it it had a hole in it. So in the middle of the night, I always had to blow it up again because it was flat on the ground. And then finally my friend said, why don't you hire my friend who's an interior designer, give her some money and she will buy, you don't have to think about it at all. You'll just return home one day and everything will be there. And I was amazed like, oh my gosh, like, Knives are in the drawer, and forks, and there's di- and there's small dishes and big dishes, and there's towels, and there's uh, a real bed and a dresser, and not only is there a sofa, but there's a table next to the sofa where you can put your coffee cup, and there's coffee mugs and a coffee machine and currug cups for the coffee. She did. She kind of just did everything. My other friend did, who removed everything. Except she moved everything back in, but only the bare necessities that are in a basic, you know, starter apartment. Like all the things you need to live, she did. And I was amazed. I didn't even know you needed anything. She called Verizon and ho- waited for them to come and install the TV and she bought the TV and she did everything. And that's that was the apartment you were in, where that's all I had. And then I moved once more since then. Um, because my kids were coming to stay with me for the summer and I need a little more space for them. So I moved in the same building to a different apartment. And I've been gradually now. Now you see over there, there's some books. I've been gradually, when there's a oh, book I like. Oh,
1: it's creeping I bu- back. Yeah,
0: yeah I, <laughs> I, I, I have started to uh, mildly accumulate. I still have the <laughs> muscle where I don't always need to get everything I want, but oh, if there's a book I really want to read and I don't want to read it just on a Kindle, I'll buy the book.
1: What was it like for the first time you cooked something or just put out your own dishes, knife, fork, and sat down at your own table and ate after that two years?
0: Well, you just made a lot of assumptions there, which (laughs) is that I used my plates. (laughs) <laughs> and I, used, I didn't even know what was in my kitchen. But what, what I would do was it was really nice at the end of the day to go to this mostly empty house and order delivery on Seamless or Grubhub or whatever and get it delivered and watch TV. And I would just eat out of the bag. I didn't use my plates because I didn't want to clean the plates. I just wanted it as pristine as possible. Um, but the very first time I cooked... It was many months later. I was dating somebody and it was Valentine's Day. So I figured, you know what? I'm gonna cook for the first time since I was 18 years old. And I had never used the oven. So I'd been living in this place for months. (laughs) I had never used the oven. I guess the last person who had lived there left some grease at the bottom of the oven. So and but it had never been cleaned. So this is like six months I'm living in this apartment. And I start making some kind of fish that I bought down the street. It's the only thing I knew how to make, because I figured you just heat it to three fifty, you put the fish in, it's done. And uh, uh, but the oven blew up, because <laughs> <there> was this <laughs> grease went on fire, <laughs> and there's smoke coming out, there's alarms off, like my girlfriend it was Valentine's, As a Valentine's Day. As the
1: Valentine's Day girl comes in,
0: yeah, like it was horrible. And then the guy across the hall from me. Uh, he was like is there a, is everything okay like he runs in like there's smoke pouring out of the apartment <laughs> like there's fire uh and so we put all that out with his help and then he said why don't you just finish this in my oven finish the fish cook it in my oven and my girlfriend's like yeah let's do that and it's valentines day and I'm thinking you know I don't know if I want like this other guy like hanging out while I'm cooking this meal I felt like emasculated a little bit and uh but he was a nice guy we he let us use the oven. And then we went back to the apartment and had the fish, and that was my first and first and last time cooking since uh, <laughs> oh, since man. I I moved into an apartment. <laughs> and and there is this aspect of okay, I was a little bit, I was somewhat of a minimalist. I agree with that, and it changed me. And still, the changes are in place. But you know, I probably went overboard. But I usually go overboard on most of the things I do. <laughs>
1: And and so now after this whole experience, like what would you recommend I do? I, obviously I've got my wife and I've got three kids. Um, only one lives at home, uh, two are off in college. Is, is it, would it be foolish of me to just start going item by item and saying yes or no? Yes,
0: that's foolish. That's foolish. I'll tell you why. So there's the Marie Kondo book, The Art of tidying up or the magic art of tidying up great book about minimalism and her thing is put everything on the ground and pick it up and hold it to your chest and if you love it keep it and it sounds nice but let's take your example a you have thousands of items i'm sure so that would take a really long time and b you're gonna love everything (laughs) So how, <laughs> That's how why I'm keeping in the first place. <laughs> You're not gonna throw everything. Out so what you gotta do is you gotta just say, okay, this closet with all these clothes, just hire someone to come in and just get rid of that closet. Now you live with a wife and a family, so you you really can't do what I did. At that point, I had nobody personally in my life. So for instance, since I started again dating somebody, you accumulating begins because people, couples need things. Um, You need your own set of towels. You need sheets that could be changed. Uh, You know, your Airbnb hosts maids aren't going to do it for you. Um, And nobody wanted to Airbnb around the world with me. Uh, And uh, (laughs) so you start to uh, accumulate things, but you do stuff with care. So now, but what if you're already in the point where You've been married for decades. You have children living with you. You can't obviously throw out their stuff. Uh, I don't know what you should do other than the fact that nostalgia isn't all that it's cracked up to be. I would just throw out everything except the things you've used in the past week. Now, you, <laughs> oh, you, your, your your wife, <laughs> your wife's gonna say no to this because she wants to keep things and it's her business what she wants to keep and, and different people are, are more nostalgic than others. But you should say, okay, I haven't touched this book in a year. I'm going to just give it away to the local library. Now, but you're going to say to yourself, but I might need to reference it. I might want to interview this guy later or whatever. I might need to reference it for something or I might just pick it up and they'll make me think of something else and I'll give me an idea for a story. No, just anything that you, anything that's yours, that's solely yours, that you haven't personally touched in the past year, I would just throw out. And that includes your old comic book collection, baseball card collection, diploma. You wow. might want to save, photo albums, people are always shocked by, so you might want to save those, or maybe you have looked at those in the past year. But if you haven't, why do you have them around? Are you gonna look at them next year? Do you have an appointment? You know what, this is, that
1: is a great question because I start to wonder, well, maybe there'll be a moment when, and Dylan's always saying to me, you know, Dad, you never tell me all these old stories. I, I've run into people that know you that start to tell me experiences that they know about you. And it seems to me a photo album is a good way of getting those memories out. Well, how? so
0: when did Dylan ask you that? Oh, he
1: I've mentioned this multiple times. Like two days ago is the last time. Okay, it's been over
0: the years. So, so two days ago, he said, "Why don't you tell me the story?" So that's related to the photo album. So right. keep the photo album so you can tell him the story, um, or throw out the photo album and write the story down. It's another way, uh, or do a podcast with him where he, where he asks you questions about each story. Uh, in the photo album, and then throw the photo album out. <laughs> so uh, or, or take a picture of every item in the photo album, write a little story about it, and then throw the photo album out. And now you have a digital so you could throw it out. I didn't do that because uh, I had not looked at the photo album. My kids didn't seem to care about what was in them. and uh, there was no, and I hadn't looked at these things in years, so I had no reason. I, I had no reason to think, you know, it's that, it's that effect, I forgot what Nassim Tulev calls it, but if you haven't done something in the past year, chances are you're not going to do something in the next year. So if you haven't worn a sweater in the past year, you're not going to wear it over the next year because you buy new clothes all the time. Why would you wear a sweater that you haven't worn in the past year? So, just, so that's a start. I did an extreme, but a start is pick a time point, one year, two years, six months, and say if I haven't looked at something in the past year or even thought about it. Now, the photo albums is different. Dylan says he asked you two days ago about this story. You know you could tell the story if you're looking at the photo album. Keep the photo album. But if there's a book like, I don't know, a pulp Robert Sheckley science fiction book from the 50s that you haven't read since you were 16 years old, and it's on your bookshelf because you just love looking at it like the paper and it's little wrinkled and it's got that browning effect and you just love that, throw that out because you haven't opened it in years.
1: (laughs) You know some something happened to me the other day that's somehow attached to this, uh, because I, here i I've written written for magazines for most of my life. And as you know, the magazine industry is not doing uh, as well as it used to do. And so I arrive in New York and I'm doing a documentary. And so there's a videographer. Walking around with me, and I'm pointing out restaurants where these amazing memories exist. And literally every street, another restaurant, another person, and I can feel it almost like a movie in front of my eyes.
0: I, I know what you mean, and I, I don't mean to interrupt, but New York City's great that way. Like, I'll be at a corner, and suddenly, it really is like how they do flashbacks in movies. Like I'm, I'm 24 years earlier and I see everything happening around that happened at that moment 24 years earlier. But if you don't remember that moment, what's it worth keeping around? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let me, let me take you to where it took me, which is going to lead to my next question. Yeah. So I'm walking with this videographer and we pass a newsstand. And you know, like you can think of newsstands from the old days, even the movie The Godfather. They're walking down the street, and The Godfather's just been shot, and Al Pacino looks at the newspaper and sees his dad's been shot. And I'm looking at this newsstand, and there was no newspapers and there was no magazines in it. It was like all M Ms.
0: Yeah, candy, and candy, like a razor blade. It, it had been it
1: had been <laughs> replaced, I and mean, maybe there was some. Um, Uh, devices to plug in an iPhone if you lost yours. And I realized this is a shift. This is new territory. Yeah, And this is one of the reasons I wanted to ask you about this because are we down the road going to be able to just have all those photo albums sort of digitally loaded into our brains? And we're just not going to need this stuff.
0: Well, the answer is definitely yes. Like people no longer really keep, like, like my kids, they don't even know what a photo album is at this point. Like Dylan, I'm sure your son's sitting right here. You, When you get a photo you really love, you put it on Instagram or yeah. store it on your email or something. You don't, he doesn't like print it up and paste it into a photo album. Have you ever done that once? What's a photo album? yeah right so so that is over and and yes, nos- we could have nostalgia about it. People like you and me who had photo albums, and we remember our parents pasting a Polaroid, you know, and that Polaroid feel and the smell of it just coming out of the camera. we have that feel of it, and we want that and, we, and that's why you hold on to these photo albums, but everything is digitally, and by the way, it's higher quality digitally when you you and you can print it up and see it higher quality than it would have been in an in a old photo album but you know, everything's changed. We live in an access economy rather than a ownership economy. Meaning um, I was able to, for two years, own nothing and live nowhere. And yet I lived quite well, you know, (laughs) because I had access to everything. I had access to cars without owning a car. I had access to the best chefs in the world without knowing how to cook. Uh, I had access to great homes. I had access to... Clothes, I, you know, I had access to everything I needed. The same things I have access to right now, even though now I'm accumulating a little bit more. Like, think about Grubhub or Seamless, which delivers food from local restaurants. I can sit here and I could say, "Should I cook while I'm watching TV?" Nah, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get the best chef in New York City <laughs> to personally cook me a meal and send some somebody over to deliver it for me. And I'm going to eat it like the best meal that could possibly be cooked better than any meal I could have cooked for myself. And then, and then instead of going out to the movies, I'm going to have a movie theater size TV screen, you know, in terms of my field of vision in front of me where someone spent $200 million creating a production just for me. Cause I don't know if anyone else is watching it. I'm just watching it in my home by myself. And the, you know Martin Scorsese might have directed it just for me. This <laughs> Wolfgang Puck made his meal just for me. And I'm in this great apartment that someone made just for me as far as I know. And they even decorated it with their most amazing interior decorator and spent millions on it for all I know. And I get to just have access to it for as long as I want. And that's the economy we live in now. And we're moving more and more towards that. And then, oh, I'm gonna go visit my friend. Do I, call, do I get my car? Where did I park it? Blah, blah, blah. And I got to pay a parking permit or whatever. No, I'm just going to get someone to pick me up in a, the best SUV possible. A guy who's <laughs> driven his car around New York City 8,000 times. So he's a great driver. And he'll take me to my friend's house and I, in two minutes. And I have access to that. I, I think
1: I'm ready for the future. I'm listening to this, and I know I got to make this change. I, very hard to be as extreme as you were, but you're but not you're, though.
0: Look at you right now. You, you, you're. You know, I don't know if this is still your title, but you've been editor at large at Esquire, a great magazine owned by a great company, Hearst, a media company that's been around for a hundred years, and you know they own tons of magazines. People would be surprised to know they own all this huge collection of magazines but yet you're doing Cal Fussman's podcast.
1: I've moved on. It's podcasting, speaking, documentaries. Which is
0: about you, which is you have access straight to the people who are listening to you. You have access straight to the people who are reading you. You have access to the people straight who will hire you to speak at their events. It's, it's, The gatekeepers are gone. Now people have direct access to everything they want. People have access to you by going to the Cal Fussman podcast.
1: The the same way that you're getting the best chef to cook your dinner.
0: Right. People could say, oh, I I want access to the best podcast. Let's listen to Cal Fussman's podcast. I don't have to turn on to channel 10 and wait for Cal Fussman to appear on TV and hopefully the powers that be at the TV channel selected Cal Fussman, who's my favorite uh, for a TV show. And then I got to wait for Thursday night at midnight to see Cal Fussman interview people. I could anytime I want go to my podcast app and listen to my favorite person. I have access to him 24 hours a day.
1: You're making this very appealing to me, James. Here's my, my one question that I, I'm, I'm wondering about, because I was just talking to somebody who was telling me that, like wh- I think the number was like one in four people in America uh, have no friends because they're so now connected to the technology that they're not like looking a friend in the eye and talking about the things that are most important to them. And I, I'm wondering if, if I go this route, if I dive into digital, do the digital dive, will I start losing these connections? Because I, I, I am so connected, my, my tissue is so connected that I, I could connect with a book cover. I could.
0: Connect with a pair of shoes. And also, you're a very social person. I know this value, you know, I could... But let me ask you an important question. Where are you sitting right now? I am sitting in your apartment. Right. Where's your son? Where's your family? My son is on your couch. Right. So, are we... Tweeting at each other. Are we sky? I
1: sit down with you. I I don't even know when the podcast starts. We just start talking.
0: We're into it. Right. So so like I always do my podcast in person because only 10% of communication is verbal. Right. And let's say let's say our friendship was built off of texting. Okay, there's only like five percent of friendship or or communication is probably texting because people miscommunicate. Like for instance, if you just start dating someone, you should never text them because texts are always misunderstood all the time so advice number one for dating is don't text as little as possible because you could be misunderstood um but so i i think communication we're still blood you know we're, we're still made out of skin and bones and blood and muscle that's never going to end uh, well maybe it will at some point but at the moment it's it doesn't it seems far off uh so to really communicate with people you have to be there in person and by the way so, because we're tribal animals, there are so many studies that suggest uh well-being. I won't use the word happiness, but well-being is a key component is your friendships and your relationships. so it's sort of sad that one in four people don't have friends. The flip side of that is I remember the first time I wrote an article online, it was two thousand one or two thousand two, somebody commented or sent, sent me an email and said, "Great article and I picked up the phone and called them. And uh, they were in Dallas, Texas, and they were like, whoa, no one's ever, I just made a comment on your article. No one's ever picked up the phone and called me before. But then, uh, and I used to do that with every all of my comments. Now I don't, but uh, back then I did. I was so excited to get comments. And like that person in particular, the very first comment I got, I remember his name's TC Green. I actually flew, <laughs> stay and visited with his, like six months later, we texted for a long time. We called each other. I flew and visited and stayed with his family. His boss invested, I was running a hedge fund at the time, it was 2003 at this point. It's his boss invested in my hedge fund. So, but that was only after I personally visited. So business is still done, you know, person to person. Wow.
1: You know what, the same thing, I find it happening to me. Uh, where I, I, I know nothing about business. And so when I started the podcast, I started speaking to people in business and Melanie Whelan, the CEO of SoulCycle said to me, hey, Cal, the, the first thing you gotta do is know your audience. And I'm thinking, I, I have no idea who my audience is. Even when I was at Esquire, that wasn't my job. I just went out and interviewed Mikhail Gorbachev and then wrote the story, and then they sent it out. And I realized when I was listening to her that this is more complicated than I thought because she said, you know who our competition is? And I said, no. And she said, Netflix. And then the light went off. It makes sense. If somebody's sitting on a couch watching something great that Netflix has on, they can't be at SoulCycle using the bike,
0: it's really true. A uh, little bit of difference in that, you know, Soul Cycle. There is an, there's always an audience of people who want to get healthier, and they're not going to sit around and eat potato chips while watching Netflix. They're going to look for, they're going to look for their options at least in the exercise space. Soul Cycle being one, Crunch Gyms being another, and so on. So she's a little bit right, but a little bit wrong. But uh, you kind of knew your audience. You knew the audience of Esquire which has a particular demographic, uh, just by looking at you, I could tell you the kind of audience you have. You have, you know, <laughs> uh, 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 mid thirties to, to, to early sixties male uh, audience, somewhat intellectual uh, who likes sports also.
1: <laughs> it, interesting. I find there's a lot of young people that are following, but what, what I did is I started asking people, who listen to the podcast, send me a picture of where you live. I want, I want to see where you live. And, and these pictures start flying in from all over the world. Uh, so if I did a podcast with a therapist about ice cream and how I might deal with my love for it, the next thing I know, I'm getting photos of people in front of ice cream stands
0: in Australia with signs saying, Cal, come have some ice cream. So so what you did was was also let's say so what I did was like three generations old for the way I analyze your audience what you did is two generations old the current generation of people who want to know who what their audience is someone visits your site where they get access to your podcast or whatever or your articles someone visits your site you drop a pixel on there or a cookie or whatever you know you drop a pixel on their browser and now your data manager follows that pixel around as they traverse the internet, and you aggregate this among the million or so people who, over the course of a year, go to your website. You know, making up numbers, and then they will tell you, okay, on average, your audience is thirty-six years old. They. Ten percent of the websites they visit are porn websites. Five percent. <laughs> I don't want to know that. Five percent are racing websites. They tend to buy from these grocery stores, and when they buy from these grocery stores, they buy, you know, steak and strawberries and this and that, and and they buy six strawberries. So there's so much data that that data analytics actually know about. If you were to use them, actually know about your customers. It's it's scary because then what you can do is. Inst- they, they, strawberry it, lovers, <laughs> right? You could instead of saying, "Oh, I'm going to advertise my podcast on Barons, which is expensive," you know, or Esquire, which is inexpensive to advertise, you could say, "Oh, well, just the same people buy strawberries, so I'm going to advertise on a strawberry <laughs> website, oh, which no. is cheap." <laughs> so that's how people use data now, uh, and that's how why da- well, why like you'll get emails. you like you'll hit some sites about I don't know. Vancouver, Canada, you're thinking of vacation. And then suddenly you'll start getting emails from Airbnb. Here's our favorite houses in Vancouver. If you're taking a vacation, like everybody, cause then people buy the data from Experian and other places that keep track of data. Uh,
1: so I really have no control of where this is going. I might as well just start moving down the stream.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can't fight, you can't fight the trend and it's not necessarily a bad or a good trend. We can't analyze good or bad. I think that's why it's just good to keep on like ignore all that and do work do the work you love in the medium that's best for you to do it like and you're like you said magazines are going down podcasts are going up so this is the medium where you can do your best craft and then you know if you want to do other things around that that's fine but you just want to really focus on your craft that's being really a minimalist is focusing on your craft and just finding the best medium to do that in
1: Well, I got to say, just sitting across the table from you, looking you in the eye, seeing your smile, that's what it's about for me.
0: Yeah, I agree with that, me too. I, you live in LA, if you lived in Manhattan, I'm sure we would like hang out. Comedy (laughs) club, all the time,
1: all the time.
0: Did you go to comedy clubs in LA?
1: Um, A couple of times recently, so I guess that means that
0: I do. All right, well, we'll go to next time in LA. Let's go to a comedy club okay, together. Okay, and when
1: I'm back, we're actually heading to the airport in a few minutes. I could talk to you for 24 hours straight. In fact, we could probably break a Guinness World Book of
0: Records. It's so funny you ask. By the way, in the room, too, is Steve Cohen and Jay, the audio engineer. Steve Cohen's the great best podcast producer in the business. Thank you. Steve and I called the Guinness Book of World Records and said, how can we break... The record for longest consecutive you know doing of a podcast and what was it like 72 hours we'd have to do i i thought it was like 50 and you said you would do uh 60 like i think it was 72 and was i said it, i would do 80. It, okay yeah i think it was 72. i mean some guys in was it denmark yeah or something they did it and, they did a radio show i was surprised because my mouth was writing checks that i was hoping his body could cash and like you know, we went through the whole thing with the nice folks at Guinness, and maybe we'll still do it. But
1: yeah. Uh. Well, you know what? I had the same idea, and I'm willing to propose. Oh, yeah. Maybe we can come together, and instead of three yeah. days, we can. Yeah. Who knows? We can do a week
0: or two. Because we could rent out, uh, not run, even rent out. Like the, so, the comedy club across the street. I'm part owner of as part of my accumulation phase. <laughs> and uh, we could just use that stage. They'll they'll book it out. They already told me they'll book it out whatever three or four or five days we want. And we'll have guests and we'll have audience, you know, throughout, we'll keep tweeting to our audience. And we don't even have to do, we, I love Guinness. He says he could talk to you for 24 hours, I, I, straight. And I love Guinness, but we could just do it and say we yeah. broke the record. That's the thing too. Why do we need Guinness's stamp? We can say we broke the Guinness you, record without Guinness approving it. You know what? I was just at an
1: event. It was a crazy event uh, thrown by Spartan Races. They have a death race. And the event was a 26.2-mile barbed wire crawl. And the Guinness Book of Records was there to adjudicate it. And, I mean, these people, they, they show up. It's very precise they're measuring things and it was very official but i tend to agree with you it's the doing of it it's right. the sitting here
0: right it's the enjoyment if people ask the question because we'll great we'll generate publicity we'll get it, we'd, but 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 here's the thing guinness charge it for a marathon event it's tricky because guinness charges for the time of the judges so if you're doing a marathon event you're paying a lot of money every eight hours. So to break our record, and again, I understand why Guinness is doing this, they should do this, it's their name, it's their brand they've built up over 100 years, plus it's the time of the judges and all the work they put in, but it's, it would've cost us well over $100,000. So then you have to think, well, did you get Whoa. sponsors for it? And, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I have the stage already, we have the audience, No one's gonna just. If anyone disputes it in the Guinness Book of World Records, we just say, "Well, we did it longer, so you haven't broken the record." And you know, I don't know why you need. uh, We could hire. We could hire a a judge anyway for cheaper, who would be, let's say, uh, independent, right? We can hire from midroll or some podcast company to be an independent judge. So and we could it could be filmed,
1: so everybody could could, it could be live streamed. Yeah. Er People around the world could
0: be watching it. I think actually Guinness didn't have a podcast category. It was a live streaming category.
1: Yeah. Well, I am open to this. I I am completely open to sharing this with you if if you're up for it. And I don't know how it would work if we both have to be uh, on the same, at the same table all the time, or can we rotate
0: in and out? Uh, I think- We could call it a special show, and then the show is live streaming. You know, even Guinness allows for breaks; they allow for five minutes every hour. So you build up, let's say, twelve straight hours. Now you have two hours. You could take a brief nap or whatever. But I'm sure there's ways we could. We just define our category. I think the whole thing is with this access economy is define the category, and we're gonna break it in that category. In fact, Guinness and other world record companies. They're famous now for inventing categories for companies. So McDonald's could say to Guinness, "Hey, we'll pay. We want a category about McDonald's." So then Guinness will create a record: "Oh, who can eat the most number of fries in an hour?" And that's McDo- McDonald's fries. And McDonald's will pay to base for that record to be broken. Uh, and you know, Guinness gets a cut on that.
1: It, this is perfect because there's so many options. We could trade places. We could be at the same table it it could be completely fluid we can have guests just coming in one after the other
0: Can have audience ask us questions uh uh there's so many different like formats we could play with it during that during that time
1: it minimum a week minimum a week
0: yeah we should do it i'm in and then seamless (laughs) get us food
1: (laughs) and well we got the best chefs in the world. All you got to do is go on the
0: internet and get them to cook for you. Exactly. Heck, heck Wolfgang Puck was on our podcast. We got Wolfgang Puck in the, to, to, to <laughs> hang out with us. And we talked to Seth Gordon about, by the way, bakery. he said. Oh, uh, yeah. His wife has the bakery, bake shop down the corner. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of synergy, Cal. I am completely in.
1: It's just a joy. say that now. No, 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 no. <laughs> If when I, are you coming back into town? If I feel this much pleasure just sitting down with you, what have we been, an hour, hour and a half?
0: Yeah.
1: Imagine 72, 96, 120.
0: We only talked about like half a topic, yeah. minimalism, <laughs> I where, I, I, where I displayed that my minimalism was totally a selfish, <laughs> uh, personally destructive act. <laughs> Which no, no. in the long run helped me, but I think you have, <laughs> I was you, honest.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to take strides in, in your direction. I'm going to figure out how to do it. And I will let you know. But it's time. It's clearly you've convinced me. It's I think, time.
0: I and again, just to get back to that, I think one technique is just to ask what don't even say you're gonna throw stuff out in your mind. Like like you're gonna fake out your mind. Just pile up or put in a closet everything you have not looked at or opened in a year or two years or five years, but give yourself an easy first task, 10 years, and then just throw it out. Pay someone else to throw it out because you can't go through it because you're like, oh no, that was my Captain Crunch whistle from my childhood. I can't throw that out. (laughs) You have a Captain Crunch whistle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No. No Captain Crunch. I got the idea though. And so I am well-armed and well-suited for this task. And we're, we're holding you to it. Dylan, Dylan has been listening. You're going to watch this and you can report back. And maybe you report back on the world record winning podcast yes. endurance. I don't think
0: I'm going to stay up for 72 hours. No, you, you can have just a little bit of a segment. We're, we'll be dead at the end, but you have a long life ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I say at least a week.
0: Yeah, and I know we can do at least a week. Let's do it. We can do it. Okay. And by the way, so just to be clear, music, um, you feel that a conversation with James is an appreciating asset rather than depreciating. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> I live for this. Okay, great. You know, and, and look, after five hours when it starts to be depreciating, yeah. then we bring on the next yeah. uh, wave of guests. Yeah. So
1: okay, good. Okay. <laughs> this is beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, it's just such a pleasure to be with you.
0: Thanks, Cal. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I really appreciate you inviting me to come on your podcast. Yeah, it,
1: it it seems like whenever we do this, it doesn't matter whose podcast
0: it is. Hey, we got such great feedback when you, when you were on too. So so I'm happy to 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 be on yours, and hopefully we'll get the same kind of feedback.
1: I think it's sort of like the way you're describing where the future's going. It's not owning anything. It's just being there in the moment. Thanks so much. All right. We will see you at the comedy club. Excellent. All right. Cheers.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or Mc Crispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.